Welcome back, everyone, to the Low Tree Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ali. We're going to look at the Bible today. And the Bible, from the perspective of, of Islam, is considered to be one of the major sacred texts. Unfortunately, Muslims have neglected the Bible to such a degree, to such an extent, that we, we really don't know much about it. And we should read the Bible because it is an elaboration of the stories and the themes in the Quran, in the Holy Book. They're all connected. All the prophets are connected to one another. Now, the major uh, criticism that Muslims have against the Bible is that is the claim that things have been changed in the Bible, in the original Bible. Now, even if that's the case, even if historically we know that uh, not everything is exactly as, as Jesus said or, uh, or the divine word, it doesn't mean that we should reject all of it. On the contrary, there is so much wisdom in the Bible that, it, that we are not accessing, we're losing out on because of this, this mistaken belief that we hold that because it, there are things that are incorrect, therefore we should throw it all away. So this is a, a, a major drawback for Muslim spirituality and Muslim, Islamic culture in general. Plus, knowing the Bible and reading the Bible will make you understand other people, other cultures as well. Uh, there's a there's a massive Christian community that you know we need to interact with in in the world and to read their holy book, which is really our holy book as well. Muslims believe in the Bible, so it is in many ways our holy book as well. But from from a from a cultural perspective, we can say that you know the Bible is is the book of the Christians, the the Quran is the is the book of the Muslims. So anyway, that being said, let us dive in to some of the wisdom. In the Bible, we have with us today our co-host, Mustafa Ali. And uh, Mustafa, tell us why we should study these other texts, sacred texts. Every seeker of truth has to dig deep into other spiritual traditions in order to see a new perspective of the overall truth which they or their culture or their tradition hasn't really seen before. And unless you do that, then you can never really get a full picture of the truth because every time you look at it, you're only seeing it from one angle. So in order to do this, we are going to be diving into different spiritual traditions across this podcast in order to see how spirituality has transformed different cultures, specifically in this episode, the Bible. Religious thinking in general prevents the religious-minded from investigating truth for what it is. We're concerned with dogma. We want truth and reality to fit into our own paradigm, into what we believe to be true, rather than flipping that paradigm and saying, let me investigate what is true, and I will then incorporate that into my larger framework and my into my worldview or my dogma. But unfortunately, what happens is that we are taught a certain dogma growing up, and we absorb that, we believe in that, and we, we try to make everything fit into that paradigm. This is extremely problematic, and this is one of the reasons why Muslims, again, don't read the Bible. And this is a closed-minded perspective. If you're really trying to find out what is true and what's not, I would go to everyone, just as we said in the last episode with Socrates, and try and see what they have to say. It's not about arguing or about debating. It's about seeing another person's perspective and seeing 
trying to learn something that you perhaps didn't know or didn't even think of. Right. So let's let's go into some of the statements from the Bible that are extremely in tune with divine wisdom. They have a corroboration with the Quran and Sunnah and the Hadith of, of Islam. Now, keep in mind that Muslims believe that Jesus was the Spirit of God, Ruhullah. This is his title, just like we have Musa Kalimullah, the one who spoke to God, Abraham Ibrahim Khalilullah, uh, the one who was the friend of God. Jesus is Isa Ruhullah, the Spirit of God. And this makes a lot of sense. So if you want to know the reality of Jesus, each prophet has a specific reality, a color, or a, a secret, that's something that, that epitomizes them. And the thing that epitomized Jesus is the spirit, the, his spiritual nature. And you'll see that all the teachings in the Bible go back to this spiritual nature, this ruh, this ruhiya. That being the case, we can look at a verse straight away when Jesus says, none can ascend to the heavens unless he has been born twice. His companion says, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus said, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. We also have the same idea in Islam. The Prophet, peace be upon him, said, Mutu qabla tamutu, die before you die. So there's two sides of the same idea. And, and what is this being born again? What does this mean to die before you die? The whole idea behind this concept of born again is the, is the rebirth of the spirit. And the spirit gives rise to spirit. So when the prophet, peace be upon him, said, die before you die, it means die the death of the carnal soul so that it can give rise to the spirit. For there to be a rebirth in the self, there has to be some death. And that death is of the carnal, the nafs, the lower self. And this is exactly what Jesus is referring to in John 3, verse number 3 to number 8. When Christians say that Jesus is the Son of God, most people have this idea of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, the concept of the Son, again, if we consider Jesus to be the Spirit of God, or the, the Ruh Allah, then this is not the, a physical son that he is referring to. And look at John, verse number 12 and 13. To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but born of God. So this is a, uh, a spiritual concept where the son of God or the children of God is not the physical flesh and blood. So that this is impossible. This is a philosophical, theological impossibility in Islam, in Christianity, in every monotheistic religion. God does not have a form. Look in Acts 17.24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of the heaven and the earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. So here Jesus is saying that God is not something that you can contain that is physical. So how can you give birth to a physical son? So here, these are metaphors that are used in the Bible. And whether a Christian is reading it, a Muslim is reading it, what have you, 
if you lose the metaphor, you lose the meaning. I think it's also it can be it can be considered deeper than a metaphor. It's a it's a spiritual designation or even a station given by God. So saying it's just a mere metaphor would also would also take away some of it. Yeah, exactly. So so the the, the wording is is in, is metaphorical language or allegorical language, but the, there's a hakika, there's a reality behind that. And as we said, it goes back to the the spiritual a spiritual reading of the Bible, a spiritual reading of of the personalities in the Bible. Let us look at the Sermon of the Mount, the very famous sermon when Jesus went up to the mountainside, sat down, and spoke to his disciples. And he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those whose hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now these are all incredible stances and incredible ideas. All of these categories, when he says, for example, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. This is the common translation. Now, another issue that Muslims have or people have of different religions is they look at the Bible from their only from their own eyes. They say, look, if this corroborates with the Quranic teachings, I will accept it. Otherwise, I will not. There is a problem with that type of thinking as well. Remember that the Quran came down to the Prophet for the, for the time of Prophet Muhammad. There is a context behind the message. Just like the Bible came during the time of Jesus and there's a context for his time and his message. And there are universal themes in these books, but they are not wrong even if they don't corroborate with the, the, the message in the Quran. The advice given to his disciples and the prayers of Jesus will not be identical to the same advice and prayers that the Prophet Muhammad gave. And this has to be understood. They were different realities, different prophets, or different manifestations of God. So what do you mean by the term realities? The reality means that each prophet has, every human being, including prophets, they have an essential reality, a haqiqah. And that essential reality colors everything that happens in their life, including yourself. So everything that happens to you in your life is based on an essential reality or a few essential realities. Now, he who knows what those essential realities are can work towards fulfilling that reality. So as we said, that the essential reality of Prophet Jesus relates to the ruh, ruhiyah. It relates to life because the ruh, the spirit, gives life. Therefore, Jesus was able to give life to the dead. He was able to heal the, the leper and, and, the, and the ill. He was able to, for example, there was a time when he walked on water, and water is a source of life. So all of the, the, the themes 
all of the occurrences in Jesus' life relate to ruh and life. Do you think these miracles physically happened or do you believe that they they were symbols for what was happening on a more divine plane or a high reality? Now, the issue of miracles is something we can talk about at, an, at, a, at another session. But we, we, what we can say to answer this question, the miracles correspond to the reality of the prophet. The miracles of Moses dealt with magic because th- that was the time where magic was was being practiced. And he, he was challenged with magic. Remember, remember, the magicians came to the court of the Pharaoh. So the miracle of Moses revolved around magic. The miracle of Jesus revolved around healing because illness and disease was rampant during that time. So the miracles also corresponded to the time, to the context, and the reality of that prophet. When we say, when we, when we look at the advices or the teachings of Jesus, we have to understand that these correspond to his reality, to his context. There are universal truths that can be taken away from the universal principles that can be taken away, but not everything is universal. Some things are time bound and some things are universal. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So now he's speaking to his companions and saying, look, the, the message must be carried on through you, the disciples. Without the disciples carrying the flag, the banner, the divine uh, message, it will be lost. So you are the salt of the earth. Without salt, food is, has no taste. And life cannot be possible. You cannot live without salt. So essentially you're saying that you will, shut, you, will, you will block out the light of God if you do not bear the responsibility of these teachings. The responsibility of spreading these teachings across the world. In the same way that the light shines before others, you may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, remember, the word father is used frequently in the Bible. And father, again, does not mean the physical father. It means the the, the, the nurture, the rub. As we have in Islam, we have the, the concept of the rub. But remember that the Prophet, peace be upon him, also referred to himself as the father of this ummah. He says, Ana wa Ali Ali and I are the two fathers of this ummah, this, this nation. So fatherhood is a station. Fatherhood is a reality. It has to do with nurturing. It's an attribute of God. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, maybe not in terms of, um, in Islamic uh, theology, we don't have Ab as one of the divine names, but uh, it's not wrong to say he's the father. It's not wrong theologically or otherwise, because we're obviously we're not referring to the physical father. We're referring to the property of fatherhood, which is protection, nurturing, and, and, and taking care. In the same sermon, he goes on to say the fulfill, in the fulfillment of the law, he says, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will be 
will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Look how much he, he is set on accomplishing the law. Jesus was a law giver. He came to establish the law. And this is something, again, Muslims and Christians don't, don't see the importance of law and the, and the divine code in Christianity. And he says, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So who exactly are the Pharisees and why does Jesus criticize them? So the Pharisees are the doctors of law. They're, they're the, 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 the jurisprudence and were strict in adhering to the legal tenets. But his criticism was that their outward uh, observance of traditional written law blinded them from practicing the inward principles of, of the teachings of Jesus. Jesus did not come only to fulfill the law, but he also came to teach ethics. He teach, he teach morality, teach spirituality. That also relates a lot to the modern day when we have religious people, so-called religious people, who who they all they practice is a is an outward form of their religion. They completely neglect the spirituality, which is the heart of it, and they don't realize that without the heart of it, then the whole the whole body of their religion is lifeless. Exactly, and 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 this is the the main message of all the prophets. Christianity is really the the spiritual way of jesus and whoever and jesus is in 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 our eyes as muslims he's the second greatest prophet of god after prophet muhammad and so how can we disregard his teachings how can we um neglect this whole massive book the bible which has stories and and their hadith essentially it's hadith of, 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 the, of Jesus written by his companions. What are hadith anyway? Hadith of the Prophet are, are statements that they heard from the Prophet. So similarly, uh, you can consider the Bible as a book of hadith of Jesus. And there's some wisdom that is so profound that, again, it corroborates exactly with all of the spiritual divine teachings. Now, again, I have to reiterate this point that if you look at the Bible only through Muslim eyes, you will miss the point. You have to look at it from the perspective of truth and wisdom. Find the wisdom. Find the truth element in it. Because every sacred religion and every sacred text and every you know, great philosophy has wisdom and truth explicitly or implicitly. It's buried or it's apparent. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. Again, the narrow gate, it refers to a spiritual path, the tariq. But here there's a, there's a brilliant statement where he says, you have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you 
and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. This is the spiritual teachings of the Prophet of God, Isa salam, Jesus. He's saying, observe the highest standard of morality. Now, remember, don't confuse this with accepting oppression. This is not an ex- acceptance of oppression. When he says, if someone slaps you in the right cheek, then turn them to the other cheek, it means that be, become forbearing to the point where you will tolerate people's injustices towards you and that will not prevent you from performing good to them. This is called makaram al-akhlaq in Islam. The highest noble qualities. And this supersedes justice. Justice is an eye for an eye. But true divine morality is to give to those who, who withhold from you. It is to, to connect those who cut you off. These are the teachings of all the saintly. These are the saintly spiritual teachings of all religions. Justice is there, but within justice, there is a higher order. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be the children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So from this passage, would you say that that the attribute of compassion is of a higher order than that of justice? Yeah, God describes himself, he says, Bismillahir Rahman Rahim. He describes two forms of mercy and compassion right after his name Allah in the Islamic um, uh, prayer, Bismillahir Rahman Rahim. So he says, the whole universe was created out of mercy, out of compassion. So any religion which does not teach compassion or mercy is deficient. It is not a divine religion. Or it is it's, its interpretation is false or it's erroneous. When we see that the, the Bible is filled with compassion. So some religious people, they claim that just believing in their prophet or their own ideology will lead them into heaven. So what do you have to say about this and what does the Bible have to say about this? In the section on true and false disciples, many will say to me on that day, Jesus, Jesus says, Lord, Lord, did we, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So this is, he's referring to the primacy of action over ideology. He says that it is not enough to claim association and affiliation to me. Just like we might claim an association to Prophet Muhammad or, for example, some uh, one of the companions or the, 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 the family of the Prophet and so on. This is not enough to enter to paradise because there has to be a correspondence between you, your soul, and that righteous person. He will say them to them clearly, I never knew you away from me. It's like the quote we mentioned earlier, you have to be born twice. Without yeah. being born twice, then 
you're just you're just claiming your beliefs. You're claiming your own piety, and this is not necessarily a representation of the truth. Exactly, but everyone he says in in verse twenty six. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. He says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. So there's a difference between one who teaches from the heart, from, from inspiration, divine inspiration, as Jesus was doing, and one who teaches from the books, one who teaches from doctrines. So this is a, a, a ruhani teaching, a spiritual teaching. The cost of following Jesus. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Wow, this is a very heavy set of verses where Jesus is, is explaining not just the cost of, of following him, but also the importance, the immediacy of his mission. And that if you want to be trained under the wing of a great teacher, of a spiritual master, you have to understand how it works. He's the ultimate teacher who requires absolute obedience from the disciple and he says look look this what is this idea that let me go bury my father but he says follow me now follow me and let the dead bury their own dead it means that come and give up your attachments to the world even if it is your own family when he says let the dead bury their own dead the first the first type of dead people are the people who are who are spiritually dead. And he's saying, follow me so you can be spiritually alive, you can be awake. Yeah, exactly. Excellent. Exactly. So there's a, there's so many different messages going on here. He's not saying become, you know, stone-hearted and don't go bury your father, but there's a there's a message here, and this is what we have to, to look at. In the Bible he says, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. So what is this division he's talking about? We see this picture of Jesus as, as being this ascetic, this absolute merciful being who is talking about forgiving and becoming, you know, loving your enemy and so on. At the same time, we have verses in the Bible which talk about division, which talk about coming with the fire. With, he says in another verse, I, I, I do not come but with a sword in my hand. I've come to fulfill the law and so on. So this idea is that Jesus is not just only coming for, for, more, for mercy or through mercy, but he's also coming to expand the truth. 
and it is the nature of truth to to clash against falsehood he is the symbol he is the beacon of truth anytime there is truth there are people who will oppose that as we saw for example in the in this in the situation of socrates socrates was a simple humble poor man who went around the town teaching about um, you know exposing people's falsehoods and yet he was put to death he was put on trial and to death not just fined or 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 ex, you know excommunicated he was actually killed and so as as and this is what they wanted to do with Jesus a simple poor man who owned nothing he says foxes have dens and birds have nests but the son of man has no place to lay his head he has nothing he owns nothing and at the same time He's, his truth is so strong and so powerful, it's bringing the wrath of the whole empire against him. Now, this ascetic life, as you were saying about how Jesus lived, he had few possessions. He encouraged leaving your worldly possessions. So how can we live, how can we live this spiritual life while still fulfilling our worldly responsibilities? Because for the most of us, we have to get involved in the world and we have to, we have to amass possessions. We have to look after our family. How can we harmonize these two polar opposites asceticism is or a detachment is probably the better word to detach your soul and your love from worldliness so this is an orientation it is not about possessing or not possessing physical objects solomon was a prophet of god a great prophet and he owned everything he owned the whole world so we don't look at only the physical thing but we look at the attachment to that thing. It is not that you own a thing, but that thing does not own you. This is the true meaning of asceticism. What's worse than physical attachment is mental attachment. Attachment to false ideas, to concepts, to how many times people are tortured by a false belief or a false idea or a relationship that has gone bad because someone someone is in a false opinion or uh, understanding of that relationship so people are attached to their ideas very often erroneous or harmful ideas and this is a far worse attachment than material things so the ascetic is one who lives unencumbered by things and thoughts he lives flowing and free and if he owns things he, he owns things this is these are the these are gifts of god but when, he, when it's time to go, then he knows how to leave them. This is why he says, Jesus says, you know, follow me now, let the dead bury their own dead. It means detach yourself. Follow me now. Because it's not that I, I'm not telling you to don't go bury your father. I'm saying that I see in your heart, you have so many attachments. So it's almost like this is what he's actually telling him. He's telling him to release yourself of those attachments. You can be attached to anything. You can be attached to, you know... Um, you can even be attached to the idea of detachment. Oh, absolutely. This is, this is, this is the, you know, where you're getting into the higher stages of, of detachment. You know, um, and ultimately, you know, we, we talk, when we go into some of the statements of the Sufis, they, their ultimate aim is to detach from their own selves, from their own egos, from not possessions and things. This has no effect on them. It is their own self-image or the idea of detachment. 
Look again in John 12, number 23, he says, Whoever holds on to his life loses it, and whoever renounces his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever desires to serve me, he must follow me, and wherever I am, there my servant will also be. So here he's saying the ultimate uh, renunciation is one of, of oneself, of one's life. This is why he says, the prophet says, die before you die. So lose all things. Death is what? Loss of all things, that loss of your body. But here in the spiritual sense, it is a loss of all attachment. Lastly, we can say that Jesus was a true revolutionary who brought truth. He brought a new way of understanding life. And part of that revolution was to oppose the Pharisees and the teachers of laws. He opposed those people, those, those people who made religion as their livelihood. They exchanged the inward for the outward. They adhered strictly to the minutia of the law without caring for virtue and the deeper and more essential parts of Jesus's and spiritual and religious teaching. So this is the plague of the modern religious ideology, and that is adherence to the ex external word and neglect of the internal spiritual development. Now, both must be entertained. However, one cannot exceed the other. They have to be in harmony. Look, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who are trying to enter. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides! If anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? And he goes on, and these are this is called the seven woes. And he says, at the end, he says, Truly I tell you, all this will come on this generation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent to you. Woe to you, O teachers of law and Pharisees, you build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would have not taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves. You are the descendants of those who murder the prophets. The mission of Jesus is to revive the, the spirit of God's teachings, not the outward letter and the law. The law is there. And he said, I've come to fulfill the law. But at the same time, which law? The law of the Pharisees, a law which has been altered, or the true divine law? Just as there is a law of the outward, there is also a law of the inward, or more implicit law. And if the Pharisees are only, or if anyone is only, is only abiding by the outward laws, then they have lost the true meaning. They have broken the laws of the inward. The reading the Bible helps us to understand the condition of man even today. Jesus fought against the same issues that are applicable for us to this day. All the prophets said the same thing about reviving the truth, reviving the inward self, self-purification, 
sincerity, truth, and so on. We will be revisiting the different prophets yet again from another perspective, from a, from a perspective of Sufism. We look at Ibn Arabi wrote a book on the secret or the mystery of all of, of the of 28 prophets. So we will be looking at Jesus yet again, but from an Islamic perspective. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Low Tree Podcast.